if I begin with a commercial word, it has to be a pretty important commercial word. It is. Two weeks from this weekend, the 20th through the 22nd of September, we will have a series of vision nights for our church. And we want to make sure that every person in our church family is impressed with the importance of these meetings. They're actually identified on this tear-off in your bulletin this morning. If you notice, there are five different venues, three different locations for what we're calling our Vision Nights. And I want to encourage you right now to take that out, if you haven't already got it in front of you. And uh, maybe take your iPhone out too and make a note of the Vision Night that you want to attend. Put a check mark there and then enter that date in your schedule, in your calendar. You are a part of a church that is not just existing, not just keeping the doors open from week to week to week. You are not a part of a business-as-usual church. You are a part of a church that is interested in penetrating this community with the love of God, the grace of God, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You are a part of a church that is doing work in Mali, Africa, in Japan, in India, among unreached people groups, significant work. You are a part of a church that has acquired property on the west side and the extreme east side for a west side ministry center and a Crossroads Worship Arts Academy. This outreach, we believe, will enable us to reach more and more people. Remember, we are a church that exists for the benefit of those who are not yet a part of our church family. And so this vision night will be an opportunity for you to hear firsthand reports that will be very engaging about what we are doing presently and what we believe that God's vision is for our church in the future. It will be a wonderful time. All the, the venues will have the identical programs. We will have limited seating at the West Side Ministry Center and at the Crossroads Worship Arts Academy. And so we have to have uh, uh, tickets. Now, the tickets are free. The tickets is just a way that we control the crowds at each one of our venues. Now, for those of you who come to Crossroads, there'll be plenty of room in this room for, uh, for that meeting. But the West Side and the Worship Arts Academy, both of those will have limited seating. The tickets are free. All you need to do is take your card this morning, drop it at the Connection Center. They will give you a ticket for the event that you indicate. You can plan to come, and I promise you, you will be thrilled. You will be blessed. And when people ask you about your church, you'll be able to say, here's what we're doing locally. Here's what we're doing globally as a church. And so, promises to be a wonderful time. I want to make sure that, that you are impressed with the importance of this night, this event, and that you are a part of it. I would encourage you to wait it as heavily as you wait our weekend worship assemblies. Now, when I envision this series of messages through the first eight chapters of the book of Romans in the New Testament, I thought I would call this series Chapters That Change Everything, because believe me, they do. The content of Romans 1 through 8 is absolutely significant in history and time and space. It changes everything about life on this planet and about your personal life. But upon further reflection and good counsel, I changed the series title to 
ancient words, and we're moving from the word wrath today to the word righteousness. We're moving from chapter 1, verse 18, last week, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We're moving from that this week to Romans chapter 3, verse 21, but now, but now a righteousness from God which has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And these two ancient words change everything. As today, we move from the bad news of the wrath to the good news of righteousness. Now, you've probably heard some of these good news, bad news jokes. Uh, Just to let you know what we're talking about here, uh, The doctor says to his patient, I have good news and I have bad news. The patient responds, what's the good news? Well, the good news is that the tests you took reveal that you have 24 hours to live. That's the good news? What's the bad news? The bad news is I forgot to call you yesterday. (laughs) Or the wife to her husband. I have good news and I have bad news. Husband, what's the good news? The good news is that I found a picture in our closet that's worth a half million dollars. Husband, wow, that is wonderful. What's the bad news? The bad news is it's a picture of you and your secretary. Well, the book of Romans has good news and bad news, but Romans switches the order, and it gives us the bad news first, and it's not a joke. Listen, friends, the bad news is for everyone, but the good news is also for everyone. So what's the bad news? Here's the bad news. It's as though mankind has entered the courtroom of heaven, God is the judge, and we all stand accused of high treason. And here's the verdict. The verdict is that the unbelievers and pagans are guilty. They are lost. And they may hope to be acquitted of ungodliness because of ignorance, but As we learned last week, what may be known about God is plain to them. Romans chapter 1, verse 29, chapter 2, verse 2 tells about it. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So unbelievers, pagans are guilty. They're lost. Secondly, the good moral person is guilty. The good moral person is lost. Even though you may be a good person outwardly, the fact is that even though you haven't sinned flagrantly like the pagans, you still sin inwardly because Jesus identified lust as the heart sin of adultery. He identified covetousness as the heart sin of stealing. He identified hatred as the heart sin of murder. And so we read in Romans 2, 3, so when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, that is the pagans, the unbelievers, 
and yet do the same things in your heart? Do you think you will escape God's judgment? Well, then thirdly, the religious person is guilty. The religious person is lost. Keeping the Ten Commandments, doing good works, although commendable, it is powerless to forgive our sins. It is powerless to secure the salvation of our souls. And so we read in Romans 3.20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The bottom line, we're all under condemnation. We're all destined for wrath. Paul indicts sinners and saints alike in the first three chapters of Romans. And look at his conclusion in chapter 3, verse 10, there's no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then he double underlines this conclusion in chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay. All this is bad news for sure. So what's the good news? Well, the good news is Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I love the way Paul puts it in his first letter to the Christians in Thessalonica. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So all human beings of every race and rank, every creed and culture, the immoral and the moral, the irreligious and the religious are without exception sinful, guilty, inexcusable and will be speechless before God. This is the terrible human predicament described in the first two and a half chapters of Romans. There is no ray of light. There is no flicker of hope. There is no prospect of rescue. How can mere human beings have a right relationship with God who is perfect and holy and infinite and just? Well, Scripture makes it clear that there is a way to God. But it's not based on anything that we ourselves can achieve or accomplish. We can be made right with God, but not on our terms. We're all equally incapable of becoming right with God by our own power. We can be saved only by the provision of God's grace in Jesus Christ and His cross. And the opening words of our text today reveal the good news that we need to hear. But now... A new section of Romans begins with God Himself intervening on behalf of sinful, rebellious, independent, self-righteous people. Take a look at our text today, beginning in verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented 
Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I want to give you three important truths about this ancient word, righteousness, this morning that's found in our text. And the first, the first is that righteousness is from God. That's in verses 21 22. Righteousness is from God. The law and prophets testify that God is the author of righteousness. It is from Him. Although the fallen condition of man is dismal and his despair is dark, suddenly the light shines, hope is revived, and the light and hope that come to this earth, they don't come, they don't come from earth. They come from heaven. Salvation is from God, not man. Righteousness is from God. Now, every summer around here, it seems like we have a lot of road construction. I suppose it's like that everywhere. I don't know whether you're like me or not, but when I come upon road construction, I'm immediately looking for shortcuts to avoid it, many times only to find out that they are not there. If up ahead I see traffic backed up, I see brake lights, I see those orange barrels and those flashing yellow lights, I'm immediately looking for an alternative route, a quicker way. I'm a person who believes that you just got to keep moving. You can't sit still. But often the shortcuts that I take turn out to be dead ends. The other day I was driving east on Lincoln Avenue, and I ran into the barriers. I just temporarily forgot about them, and there they were. So I turned and went south on Frame Road. I kept turning back onto dead-end streets, trying to find out ways to get through to Bell Road. Of course, none of you have ever done that. Now, I think this is often what happens when people are looking for a way to get to heaven. They're looking for a way to, to get right with God. Pretty soon they run into all kinds of, of dead ends. And there are different roads that people take to righteousness. I would call them law roads. They appeal to our natural sense of what's right and what's true. And so some people go down the road of being a good moral person. They go down that road. It starts out smooth and wide, but pretty soon you blow it morally. You do a shady business deal. You engage in cyber flirting or texting with someone. You lose your temper and curse a coworker or the driver of another car. You keep something you know belongs to someone else. You tell a lie to make yourself look good, and the be a good moral person road dead ends, and you know you're lost. Now, being good seemed like the logical road to heaven, but it won't get you there. So you turn off on another road. This is the good family person road, and you travel down this road for a while. It's another of these law roads that appeals to the natural sense of what's best. So you make changes in your schedule to free up 
time to be home more, and you faithfully provide, and you try to become more patient and self-sacrificing with the wife and kids, and that's all good. But real intimacy with the wife seems to be elusive. The kids go through stuff at school or with their friends, or they grow up and move away, and you think, this can't be the road to heaven. This isn't the road to righteousness. So you try the work hard at your job, succeed in your career road. This seems like a good way to go. It appeals to your sense of natural law. You travel down this road, working hard at your job, putting in long hours to meet your quotas, to meet your deadlines, trying your best to succeed, and the traffic is moving well, and the road is well paved and comfortable. And then, then you have a stroke or an accident. You become disabled, or you get laid off, or you get downsized, or you lose your motivation because of pay or benefit cuts, or you don't get promoted, and you start thinking, well, this isn't the right way. So in desperation, you ask God, what is the right road in life? What is the right road to heaven? I'm lost. And God responds, it's a road you haven't been on before. It's a new road not man-made. It's a road I cleared. It's a road I built. There's a key phrase in our text. It says, it's a righteousness from God apart from law. See, it's not the good moral person road in life. It's not the dedicated family person road in life. It's not the successful career person road in life. It's not even the formal religious person road in life. It's the road of righteousness from God. Something else about this righteousness is this. Righteousness is through faith in Jesus. That's in verse 22. It's for all who believe, all who believe, and there is no difference. He is the way. He is the road to righteousness. He is the way to heaven. There may be seven billion people on this planet. There is one way. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. God's only got one plan, only one son, only one path, only one way. We're saved from the penalty of sin simply by putting our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Bill Hybels tells about being on vacation one summer when their new neighbors invited him and his wife Lynn and a few other couples to join them on their catamaran for a dinner cruise. And just as they were concluding the evening and Bill and Lynn were ready to leave, one of the guests said, "'Say, you mentioned that you're a pastor.'" I've always wanted to know the difference between Christianity and all the other religions of the world. Heibel's response was Holy Spirit-inspired. He said, all of the religions of the world, if you were to boil them down to a single word, it would be the word do. But he said, in Christianity, if you, you boil it down to a single word, it would be the word done.
But putting our faith in Jesus as Savior, we've got to understand, is demonstrated by our obedience to Him as Lord. Now, it is not our good works that produce our salvation. But we have been created in Christ Jesus. We come into Christ, and we begin to manifest good works that demonstrate that we know Him, that we belong to Him, that He is our Lord. You see, faith is not just mere mental assent. It is not just belief. Look at James chapter 2, verse 19. Even the demons believe and shudder. And James declares five verses later in James 2.24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And the only place in the entire Bible where the words faith alone appear side by side are right here where it says a person is not justified by, or a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, the fact is faith is not authentic unless it includes obedience. That's why just a moment ago when Patrick baptized Chris right over here, he asked Chris if he accepted Jesus as his Savior and Lord. Look at Romans chapter 1 verse 5. This is the Apostle Paul. Through him, that is through Jesus and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. You cannot separate obedience and faith. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord? And do not the things which I say. He said, if you love me, obey me. The obedience that comes from faith. And friends, the first priority act of obedient faith is it's baptism. In the book of Acts, it is included in each and every one of the seven detailed conversion accounts of people putting their faith in Jesus. It is a same-hour response to hearing and believing the gospel. Read about it. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 11. Two accounts in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 22. So someone is going to have to tell me why it is considered in some churches to be optional, an afterthought, a non-essential. Someone's going to have to tell me why it's performed in ways that are unknown to Scripture, like sprinkling or pouring. Where do we get the idea that we can tinker with something this important? Jesus submitted to baptism in the Jordan River, and He didn't even need to. When John the Baptist saw Him coming, John the Baptist said, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? And Jesus said in Matthew 3.15, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. It's the only command in Scripture given in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you claim to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ, why forego obedience to this clear and authoritative command? Why not obey Jesus? Why not follow His example? He didn't need to do it, and yet He did it because it was right. 
Perhaps there's someone here in the same place. You don't think you need to do it. But you ought to do it. Because it is right. So can you say today that your obedience is up to date? Baptism is a physical act that apart from faith in the intervention of God is completely meaningless, trite, and even a little humbling. But God working through our humble obedience and submission affects cleansing from sin, commitment to lordship, and the filling with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to give you an early alert about two back-to-back weekends that are coming up soon. I want to give you kind of a save-the-date note here this morning. You've gotten those cards in the mail. Sometimes it says, save the date. More details to follow. I want to encourage you to save the dates of November 2 and 3 and November 9 and 10, these two back-to-back weekends in November. We want to serve everyone in our church family, everyone in our community who are believers and want to get their obedience up to date. Husbands and wives united in Christ. Children of an accountable age. Family and friends. Now, please don't wait until then if you're ready. But if you would be encouraged by several people taking the step of baptism with you, here is your opportunity. And our starting point classes will be happening in the weeks ahead between now and then if you want to prepare by learning more from God's Word. One more thing about righteousness, and that is righteousness is by grace. Verses 24 and 25, we're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. Wow. I've got two minutes to talk to you about grace, so what's the most important thing I can say? Can I take you back to the courtroom? You and I are standing before our Creator and Judge, and the verdict is that we are guilty as charged of treasonous sins, and we anticipate the punishment of eternal spiritual death, and the sentence is about to be pronounced when Jesus, our defense attorney, our advocate with the Father, Jesus, the only righteous one, pleads His blood for us. And so, instead of hearing condemned, we hear acquitted. But you ask, how does Jesus do that for us? Well, it says in our text, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. And atonement means that we will not experience God's wrath. Atonement means that He will not punish us for our sins. Listen, we have peace with God because of what He provided Jesus to do for us that we could not do for ourselves. The way to a right relationship with God does not lie in some desperate and doomed attempt to win acquittal by our performance or our goodness but it lies in humble repentance and acceptance of God's grace offered to us in Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The only question remains this morning is whether you're ready to accept this gift of righteousness. And then give your life, your allegiance to Him. Get yourself plugged in, rooted in a body of believers who are striving for the same thing. And we invite you to make that decision for Christ or for Crossroads this morning as we stand together and worship one last time.